and that might open our eyes and bring about something good and glorious. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've got Jeremiah 2 open, and uh, just by way of introduction, um, as I was uh, on a day off um, on Tuesday, and I was driving around a very posh part of Cheshire and the Wirral, and it was all very nice. And uh, as I was driving around, I was driving on a little country lane, and I was very struck by how polite everybody was in in Cheshire and the Wirral. They're they're very polite, and they, they wave you through. And then when, when you stop, they say thank you, or they flash their lights. And I, I was, I was, I was <laughs> they're thoroughly decent, actually. And I have to say, I felt rather guilty bringing my Manchester driving habits to this part of the world. You know, I was corrupting them, clearly, you know. You know, I was pushing in everywhere, you know, you know what you do in Manchester. Into such a genteel place. And then I thought to myself, how do you talk about sin in a place like that? How do you talk about sin in such a genteel place? Quite a, quite a problem, isn't it? Now, uh, everywhere has its challenges. Uh, you probably live and work and study with people who, who think there are no rules, who think that actually nobody has a right to tell us what to do, um, no acknowledgement of anybody outside their own existence. And so you have your own particular challenges. What vocabulary do you use? <laughs> when you talk about sin. And then as I looked at this particular passage, and I I thought it wasn't so much about me helping other people realize how sinful they were, how do I think about sin myself? How How do I talk to myself? How do you talk to yourself about turning away from God? Idolatry, let's put it that way. How do we talk about that? What vocabulary have we got and Jeremiah gives us the vocabulary. That's what he does. And it is a striking vocabulary. It is the language of love. Ta-da. We had Valentine's Day on Thursday. Some of you may have forgotten. But anyway, it happened. I forgot. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't actually forget. I was coming back on a train, on London, a train from London. And everybody had flowers. And I was thinking, why has everybody got flowers? You know, it's ridiculous. Anyway, uh, but uh, there you are. It's the language of love. And that's the language that Jeremiah uses to help us understand sin. And it helps us not only understand ourselves, it's going to help us understand what God is like as well. Very, very important, this. So let's please turn to, um, uh, let's turn to Cher- uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, Uprooting Sin, Planting Hope. As Tim said last week, that is essentially the title of our series. Uh, and there are four things on Uprooting Sin, two on Planting Hope. And we're looking now at how Jeremiah begins his um, his book. And just a little word on this. It's the first point of sin is spurning God's love. But I don't know if you know, but um, as you go through Jeremiah, as Tim said, it's not chronological. It's not this happened and then this happened in this king's reign and then that king's reign. It's sort of thematic, sort of pulled together. Um, and if you go on to chapter 36, you see that actually um, Jeremiah's first book was given to the king of Israel who just cut it up and chucked it in the fire. So it had to be rewritten um, with Jeremiah, perhaps, and and Baruch, his editor, um, putting it back together again. So it's not so much chronological, although, as we read in chapter 3, at the very ending, it's with our good king, Josiah, um, probably, that he starts this message of spurning God's love. Now, 
Tim also mentioned um, uh, the, the pressures on the people of Israel. And uh, you've got Assyria, um, which is a, a kind of a great power, uh, which was on the wane. And uh, Tim tells us in Jeremiah's day, Babylonia's coming up, Egypt is still around, and uh, they're all coming, and guess who's in the middle? And so there's pressure on God's people. And where do they look for help? Do they look to the Lord or not? Well, let's look at this spurning of God's love. So this is how it starts, chapter 2. This is what the Lord says, verse 2. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. What a striking language to use. He doesn't talk about his people as a subject or as sheep or as children, but as a bride. And that's, that's, that's a surprise, and some of us have to do a bit of gender bending here, you know, because we're guys. But it's an important way of understanding how God feels about you. He's the bridegroom, you're the bride. And it's very passionate language that gets used in Jeremiah all the way through. It's, it's not a trivial kind of thing. So when you read in verse 5, they strayed. This is what you read. This is, I remember your devotion, but look, now if this is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? And as your ancestors do, so you do now. You strayed, they followed worthless idols, so do you. And they became worthless themselves. What did you find that was wrong with me, he said? That actually you went off with other lovers. That's really the picture. What have they forgotten? There was a kind of a collective forgetfulness. In verse 6, you see, they didn't ask, where is the Lord who did all these wonderful things for us? They didn't go to the Lord. They looked everywhere else but the Lord. Their leaders were not very good. In, in verse 8, I'm sorry I'm running through it rather fast, but uh, their priest did not ask the same question, where is the Lord? The scholars, those who deal with the Lord, they didn't know me. The leaders, they didn't. They rebelled against me. The prophets, this must have been agonizing for Jeremiah. The prophets prophesied not by the Lord, but by Baal, by, by the ruling thought patterns of the culture they spoke. And what happened was that they caused Judah, lovely Judah, to be spiritually adulterous. And, uh, and, and, and there is such a shock about this. And I'm going through this very quickly. Sorry, you've got a speed read. But he says he brings charges against these people, verse 9. And he says, uh, look, cross over to the coastlands of Cyprus or to Kedah and observe. Is there, has there been anything like this? Verse 11. Has a nation ever changed its gods? It's like whales getting rid of the daffodil, you know. Sorry, well, maybe it isn't. It's worse than that, you know. But has a nation ever got rid of its gods? But you, and they aren't any gods, by the way, brackets. But you've exchanged the glory of God for worthless idols. Now, that language you might recognize from Romans chapter 1, exchanging the glory of God, and of course you would be glorious as well. You've exchanged it and you've loved other things. Whoa. And, uh, and, and it's, it's put very powerfully uh, in verse 13. 
Um, my people have committed two sins. There's two things that you've done wrong. Number one, you've forsaken me the spring of living water. And number two, you've dug your own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So you're thirsty. Now, I'm a bit of a fan of two old French films. I don't know if you've ever heard them. Jean de Florette and Manon de Source. Anybody out there? Thank you. Yes, just one. Okay. So clearly I am, you know, starting a trend here. Well worth watching. Gérald Depardieu is in the first one. They're 1960s or 70s. They're really old films. Uh, but, and I don't want to ruin it for you because this is, this is your required watching now. <laughs> you know, uh, Paul tells you to watch movies. I'm telling you to watch movies as well. So it's about a guy who, who inherits a wonderful land where there's a spring. But somebody has come and diverted the spring. And there is no water. Now in Israel, um, it was, you know, if you had a spring of water, a fresh spring springing from the ground, you were in. It was great. You know, you could look after your cattle. You could, you know, drink water for yourself. If you didn't have any water, you had to drink, make your own system, cut it into the lime, uh, limestone, and then you'd have to plaster it with lime. But it would crack. It would, it would, it would break. And so you'd be pouring your precious water that you've got from somebody else's spring and be pouring it into this hole. And then you'd go the next day and you'd go, it's gone down 50%, 60%. And it, it sort of run out. It's gone. And so he's saying, this is, what have you done? You've, I would have been a, a never-ending source of living water for you. And so Jesus talks about himself like that, doesn't he? You know, he talks about himself as, you know, providing you with living water. A couple of times, actually, he uses that image. Um, uh, especially drawing, drawing water from a well. That's the story of the woman at the well. And you've tried to do it yourself. You try to find your own source of living water. You've tried looking elsewhere, and it hasn't satisfied and you're thirsty and you're dying of spiritual thirst. Well, it's a tragic picture. And just to make it, just to make it a little bit worse, <laughs> um, if I can, um, I don't really want to do this to you, but um, when they reject God they seem to really reject God and just go for these other gods in a graphic kind of way. Just quickly glance through 20 to 25. In a way, I'm glad we didn't read it out because it's pretty shocking. <clears throat> you know, you broke your, you broke, verse 20, you broke off your yoke uh, from God. You said, I won't serve you. And what did you do then? On every high hill and on every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. Um, that's a really mild version of the original Hebrew. And I, I'll leave it to your imagination to, to, to just work out what was going on. You became a corrupt vine. Um, and going on in, in, in verse uh, 
23, 24, like a, like 24, like a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving, in her heat, who can restrain her? You are almost unrestrained, like a wanton donkey, <laughs> like an animal. What is this telling you? What is this telling you? Um, that sin is not just simply turning away from God in a kind of neutral way, it's going after something else. It's, it's spurning God's love to go after something else. And those of you who have seen this close up, and it's, it, sorry to bring it up, but the pain of divorce or breakup, it, the moment where one partner discovers that the other person has actually gone after somebody else, that's painful. So what is sin? See, if, if you're the person that's been spurned, it, it really hits you, doesn't it? So we tend to think of sin as breaking the rules. That's how we think of it. We think, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. I broke the rules. But, but God isn't a remote force. Sin isn't just breaking God's rules. Yes, it is. It is but it isn't just breaking God's rules. It's breaking God's heart. Do you see? He's a lover. So actually, when he sees you going away from him, it's, it, it's the pain of a broken relationship. He made you, created you, he loves you. He yearns for you. Now, now don't get me wrong, he's not weak in this. You should be in awe of the living God. And uh, it says something like that, I think, in verse 19. You should be in awe of God, but also you should be gripped by the love of God and raptured by the love of God. And when you go after other things, when other things become important to you more than God, it's not just breaking the rules, it's breaking his heart. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought like that before, but it's, a, it's an important way of thinking about sin. It's spurning God's love, do you see? Yes, it's offending his holy law. Of course it's all of those things. But it's also spurning his love in this passage. Right, now then slavery. Oh, I didn't do these in, um, you've got all my points. So don't read ahead, right? Just, uh, just go slowly, right? Slavery is the consequence of, of spurning God's love. If God is not the lover of your soul, are you neutral? No. If God is not the lover of your soul, you're actually in bed with something else spiritually. Huh? You see? No, your soul is not neutral in your affections. That's the first point. Just stay with the first point. Just don't read on. I know, of course, telling you not to read on has just made you read on, hasn't it? Because that's what our hearts are like. <laughs> yes. There you go. Go to Waterstones. If you go to Waterstones, it's like, this business is about not being neutral. Go to Waterstones or go online to any bookshop and you'll see lots of self-help books about your soul. Right? And the care of your soul. And then they, they probably won't be Christian. They're probably not, you know, chicken soup for the soul was one I remember from many years ago. And they depict your soul as a still pond, you know? But the Bible says no, it's a turbulent sea. And, and, and care for your soul, they depict as going to a quiet place and thinking inspirational thoughts. Whereas actually the Bible says your soul is like two empty arms and an empty heart that must run after something. That must find its worth or meaning or acceptance from something. 
So I know some of you are thinking about Christianity at the moment, but what then is your God? What is the thing that you really can't live without? Because actually that's what our souls are like. Now why do we do this? Well, it's potentially because we're under pressure. Um, and I didn't, I didn't put this down, but maybe we feel under pressure. And verses 14 to 18, back to the passage. Um, yeah, verse 14 to 18 talks about the pressure that people are under. Maybe that's a point I missed off there um, and didn't correct the PowerPoint. But um, is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? They're not, but actually when they turn away from the living God and trust in him, do you remember that picture of all the all the forces around you, you start to look elsewhere. They look to Assyria. They're the lions in verse 15. They've growled. They laid waste the land. Then you look to Egypt. That's Memphis. It's not a place in the United States. It's Memphis and uh, Tefanis. It's Egypt. But they cracked your skull or shaved your head. They, 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 they made you slaves, really. Um, why are you drinking water? from uh, why did you go to Egypt and drink the water from the Nile? Why did you go to Assyria, verse 18, and drink water from the Euphrates? You see, instead of the living water, you're going to these other places to drink. And you can't help it. What's another sign of slavery or another sign of addiction, indeed? Um, it is promoting something to be an ultimate. Now, I know I'm dotting around the place, but turn over to verse 27, um, these thoughts, are, as it were, all coming together in chapter 2. This is what you do. This is what they do, these leaders, these priests and prophets. They say to wood, you are my father, and to stone you gave me birth. What's that all about? Well, it's about making an idol. And you make it out of wood or stone, and then you bow down to it. And what you do is you promote something to be an ultimate. So if you don't love God, if God's not the, um, the desire of your heart, then other things will be promoted to be an ultimate. Now, there's nothing wrong with wood and stone. But when you say to wood and stone, you are my father, I can't live without you. You gave me birth. What are you doing? Now, of course, we don't worship wood and stone today, but we do worship other things. And they become the thing we can't live without. And it ain't good for us. <laughs> it's not how we're meant to be. And that leads finally to addiction. Addiction is, the th is it, it, you end up saying at the end, back, turn back a page, sorry, you've got to do all this. You end up saying, oh no, you don't have to turn back a page. Sorry, sorry, it's verse 25. Um, do not run until you feel your throat. But you said... This is at the end of verse 25. It's no use. I love foreign gods and I must go after them. I must go after them. I can't help it. So here's, this is all sort of difficult to take, I know, but sin is, sin is in a sense breaking the heart of God. It, it's rejecting God's love. But when you do that, you give yourself to something else that... Um, that will be your master and you'll become addicted to it and it will not give you what you want. 
And I think that's true. And you can learn it the hard way, you learn it the easy way. <laughs> if you want to learn it the hard way, it's pretty painful. So what does that do? What does that do? Well, what do I do with all of this? This is pretty sad. Well, finally, return to God's love. Okay, this is what you need to do. Return to God's love. The rest of our studies in Jeremiah are going to be about exposing the false roots and then showing the right way. If you haven't got it already by now, I have been making the point that we are not free. Certainly if you're a Christian, you're not free. You think you are, but you're not really. You've just got to deal with that. And even as a Christian, you know, the old idols come back. And they say, look, I will look after you. I know you feel the pressure. Come to me. <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> and I know some of you grapple with some, some, some tough stuff. But um, Bob Dylan went, went through a Christian phase. And they produced two fabulous albums. One was Slow Train Coming. I can't remember the name of the other one. I think it's Saved, I think. <clears throat> and in, uh, on Slow Train Coming, he had some great tracks. Um, and one of them was, you've got to serve somebody. Um, you know, in that Bob Dylan way of singing, you know, you've got to serve somebody. You know, it may be the deal. So that's not bad, actually. Uh, we saw him live about three years ago, and he completely lost his voice then. But, but what, he's, what he's saying is, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. You're not free. So what can we do as believers so look here are three four maybe three things that i think will help us deal with sin ourselves before we can start talking about it to our friends um and i think uh, it will help you because the one thing that we want you to to be clear about is your clear commitment to jesus christ if you're clearly for jesus and you're going for him you're going to be really effective 2 Peter 1, if you, if you haven't got it sorted out, then you won't be effective. So how can I help you be effective? Let me, let me think of this practically. Here's the first. Personalize your understanding of sin. Now, I've said this, but this whole business of it's about a, a, a wedding, God is the bridegroom, or Jesus is the bridegroom, and, and you're the bride... If you think that sin is just about breaking the rules, and it is breaking the rules and breaking the law, of course, it is that. But if it's just about that, you will scold yourself. Uh, and, and you will sort of speak to yourself, stop doing that. You know, you shouldn't do that. And can I tell you that, that you know, you, you really, you're like, really try. <laughs> but you won't, you won't get anywhere. <laughs> Have you tried that route? I really try not to do this. And it says... Yeah, isn't it? Here's a rule. Do not climb. Oh, it's so tempting, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm really not going to try and climb, but I will on Monday. <laughs> no, sorry, but I might do. Um, no, no, but if you think it's breaking the heart of God, if, it, if, it's, if it's something that, Lord, you, you really love me, and I really can't get my head around that, and actually you're yearning for me as a bridegroom yearns for a bride, I never thought about it like that. Then you get an insight into the depth of his love for you. Now, please, I'm not trying to portray him as a weak 
person, but as a, he is, you know, there's nothing weak about the Lord. But nevertheless, he loves you, right? You get your head around that. He really does. And he's saying, we, I made you for something much better than this. Then make real what Jesus has done for you. Get a grip on, on mercy. The priests and the teachers had forgotten. Have you forgotten um, what, what God says? That's always put yourself under good teaching. Always, always, always. You know, if you're a student and you're not going to student Bible study, why not? <laughs> put yourself under good teaching. Or you're in a house group. Or whatever it is you're in. Put yourself under good teaching. Come to communion. You're reminding yourself about, about, what, uh, about what Jesus' is, is, uh, death is all about um, in history. But also think about how, how did God work in your life? Where did he take you from? And, and where did he take you? How did he break into your life? Go over that in your own mind and think, what was the moment where he really rescued me, you know? And I, I suddenly realized he loved me and it blew me away and... and Maybe there's something to do with that moment that you, you remember. And every time you, you go to that place or you read that verse, it just brings it back. I mean, there's a place for me um, just, out, just in Bishopsgate in London. I was just walking to work and I passed Horns, the um, men's clothing shop, on the way to work. And I, I remember saying, I can't live without you, Jesus. I can't live without you. I, I commit myself to you. Every time I go back now, I go, that was where it was. <laughs> um, now, uh, I, I, I was listening to Tim Keller recently, and he was quoting something like this. He's always quoting Lord of the Rings. And, you know, I will quote Harry Potter when I've read a book. But um, we're with Lord of the Rings. Sorry, you know, you can see my bias here. But there is, <clears throat> there's a moment where, where they're defending the city and the Black Rider is a... You know, it was almost about to slay Gandalf, you know, and it's really awful. And then the riders of Rohan turn up. Does anybody remember that moment? The riders of Rohan with the king. And the horns of Rohan sound. Do, do, do. You know, that, that sort of, it's actually a shofar, I think. And it's that fifth, da, 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 da. You know, it's brilliant. And, uh, and Pippin looks up and he hears the sound. And in the book, it says... Whenever he heard a distant horn sounding, he wept because he remembered that moment when they, were, when they came charging down the hill to save them. And I'm just asking, what are your distant horns? What, what is the thing that reminds you? It's a good question, isn't it? What are your distant horns? And then the final thing is maybe oblique, but look in the mirror to see yourself in Christ. What am I talking about? Okay, we're nearly done. Verse 32. He is talking about how they forget. And in verse 32, over the page, he says, Does a young woman forget her jewelry, a bride, her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. What does this say? Now, we, we know that none of us are flawless. Um, and, and brides-to-be are not flawless. Um, but there is something that happens on the wedding day to every bride that, you know, she puts on her wedding ornaments, the dress and the makeup and, you know, I don't know what else. It, but anyway, 
There's a magic that goes on, isn't there? <laughs> There's a magic. So that when they turn up, they are indeed flawless. You know, they look absolutely splendid. They're clothed in beauty. I remember the privilege of being um, in the house when my, when my daughter was, you know, putting on, she was, uh, the makeup was being put on and then she'd come out and show me the wedding dress and I was just sitting there and, you know, drinking coffee and waiting for the drive um, to, the, to the church. And um, uh, it was great. Now, I have, to say, I have to say, I think my daughter's beautiful anyway. <laughs> and so, in case she's listening to this talk. But um, <clears throat> every 15 minutes, she'd come out, Dad, what do you think? You know, and, uh, and then, you know, I, I, there was never a chance that she was going to turn up to the door of the church and say, oh, I've forgotten to do my makeup. No, she's always looking in the mirror the whole morning. You know, yeah, that's great, that's great, that's great, that's great. How could you forget? Now read, read the verse again. Can a, bride, can, a, can a bride forget her wedding ornaments, yet my people have forgotten me? Now there's a very interesting link here, and I don't, I don't even know if Jeremiah knew it. Um, he links God, as, it, as he's speaking, God links himself with these wedding garments or wedding um, ornaments. And there is a place in the New Testament which makes it clear that when we become Christians, we are clothed in Christ's clothing, Christ's pure clothing, his righteousness. We are clothed in that. And so... Maybe, I don't think Jeremiah knew this, but I, I, I think it is, it is nevertheless true in the New Testament that when you look at yourself, you need to see yourself clothed in Christ and remember who you are in Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian and you're tempted to sin, you're tempted along a false path, you need to say, this is not who I am now. I can see myself in the reflection and all I see is the beauty of Christ. I'm clothed in him. You will fail from time to time. Of course you will, but don't scold yourself. Let your bridegroom re recapture your heart. So how do you talk about sin? There is a God who's made us, who gives us life and breath. But he is also the God who gave his son to save us. And you need to understand you are a lover who will go after things and you'll love anything. But he is a lover too. He's the Lord. He is the God of the universe, but he's a lover too. And you need to let his love capture you. You need to melt before it and say, I do not understand how I could be a Christian, but for your grace. But I can. I once was lost, but you saved me. Let's pray. Lord, we want to have hearts wholly devoted to you. And we want to be able to sing hallelujah. Um, we want to be able to praise you that all I have is Christ. My Lord, help us to recognize that uh, um, sin is spurning your love. But if we do that, we're addicted to stuff that we can't break. But when you capture our hearts then that new affection pushes out all the old gods and we begin to love you again for who you are and we're free 
Lord, that's what we want to be, free and holy for you. In Jesus' name, amen.